How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love. My phone was just like acting up and was not cooperating. Oh, good. The better question is, are you still lit? Oh, I'm lit, pal. Okay, let's do this. <laughs> okay. One time Wednesday, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where if you're having girl problems, I feel bad for you, son. I got 92 problems, but oh, hey, that's the Lakers record, and they just won. Again. Because they're good. And that's what they do. I mean, I I actually do have girl problems, but, you know, it doesn't matter because the Lakers are 9-2 and and have won 9 out of their last 10 games. And the Lakers are just a fun team to watch and root for, so it doesn't matter if I got girl problems. But anyways, Tommy, how did you like my little remix there? It was all right. Damn. (laughs) All right, I'll I'll work on it, buddy. Hey, but speaking of remixes, I am quite enjoying the Lakers' current remix on past Purple and Gold Championship contending teams for this next generation, for this soon-to-be 2020 next decade. Uh, Tommy, fun little nugget, but... Do you know what the Lakers' current win percentage is right now as a 9-2 and two team? What does 9-2 and two calculate out to? Uh, 0.818181 repeating. 818181, Kobe! <laughs> so, you know, I was originally disappointed that we weren't able to beat the Raptors on Sunday because then we would have been 8-1 and one against the team that Kobe dropped 81 on. But, you know what, being 9-2 and two and having an 81% win percentage now is somehow even better, I think. But with that said, welcome to the Lakers Legacy Podcast. I am your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I am joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. He is doing one of those drive-by recordings once again. Tommy, how are you feeling uh, with the Lakers continuing to just win? Is it boring you yet? No, it will never bore me. I hope we go 79-2. and I know that's not going to happen, but it's been (laughs) super fun to watch so far. They're not just winning, but I think they're winning playing the right way. I think it's like part of what ha- it's happening with our season and, and the optics of it is that the NBA is weird this year, right? Like everybody thought it was it, everything was going to be up for grabs, but it's just words until it a- actually happens. And now that we're here, it's like you look at the Western Conference standings, there are four teams in the playoffs currently. Yeah, we're only 10 games in or whatever, but 11 games in. But there are four teams in the Western Conference that weren't in the playoffs last year that are if the play if the season ended today would be in the playoffs um there are a bunch of east teams are surprising i don't think anybody expected like miami to be eight and three or whatever they are at at this point um 
So, and what I'm getting at with this optics thing is I think it's easy to be like the Lakers are nine and two. They've made every game. You know, I think we have the highest plus minus uh, point differential in the NBA. Um, and uh, it's easy as a, like a casual fan or maybe like an outside observer or like a hater, I guess, in other words, it, to, to say that the Lakers have had an easy schedule so far. But it's crazy because this team is just making things look so easy already. Um, yeah. We've actually had like a top, I think we're sixth or fifth or something in strength of schedule so far. We've had a fairly difficult schedule. Um, yep. So it, it's it's fun to watch and it doesn't feel like, you know, fake results at this point because we've actually played like several good teams. Yeah. And all amidst while trying to figure out this roster and how Frank Vogel is going to play certain rotations with guys coming back like Rajon Rondo and Kyle Kuzma. And uh, yeah, so the Lakers are currently nine and two. They hold sole possession of first place in the West. The Celtics are currently number one in the East, which sucks. And the whole NBA at nine and one. So maybe some cool historic stuff potentially colliding there. And I know this is so Homer of me to say, but you just mentioned that the Lakers nine and two doesn't seem like a facade. I would like to say that I think the Celtics nine and one seems a little facade, if you know what I'm saying. I don't know. I'm saying it like that, but yeah, it seems like a little bit. <laughs> it seems like a little bit of a sham rockery. You know what I'm saying? Um, let's see. I'm gonna throw out some stats to you real quick, and then we're gonna talk about a little bit more about how you're feeling about this team and just how much has changed in such a short time. Um, So obviously the last two games, they were pretty much a tale of two different games where the Lakers were in a shootout against the Phoenix Suns and they really showed that they can win in a high-paced, high-intensity game where another team is just scoring a bunch of buckets and we can take their best shot that way and uh, punch them right back. And that's what they did. And they also showed that when they need to, in crucial moments, even though the game is going super fast and the pace is high, that the Lakers can still put the clamps down when it matters. And that's what we saw happen. Kyle Kuzma, huge, huge clutch threes. LeBron with that huge step-back three. Avery Bradley doing all the dirty work crazy offensive rebound, really nice passing, great overall win on the road. I think probably more impressive than the Chicago Bulls game. Also because the Phoenix Suns are just a legit good team. And then last night, what a what a breath of fresh air against the Golden State Warriors, right? They absolutely did what they had to do. They had momentary lapses here and there where they just got bored by the Warriors, but who can blame them? And in totality, they just totally imposed their will and they were just overwhelming and at times they look like the San Antonio Spurs beautiful basketball just because the Warriors have no idea how to guard simple pick and rolls and the Lakers just took advantage of that so blew the Warriors out tale of two different wins I'm going to throw out some quick overarching stats here and then let Tommy talk so it took us only 11 games this year to reach nine wins last year it took us 16 games with a nine and seven record so pretty impressive that this early on we are nine and two i don't know what you thought we'd have at this point but i think my projections were probably seven and four and now we're about to hit our easiest portion of the schedule uh what about you oh yeah i mean i don't recall what my expectations were like in terms of literal win-loss record at this point but Nine and two is much better than I would have accepted. I mean, we were talking before the Suns game, and I was like, we have four easy home games coming up, or what should be easy home games coming up after the Suns game. Like, you know, I'll take the L in the Suns game if if, uh, if we win those next four in a row. But we've just been handling teams. Um, 
and uh, yeah, I mean, that's all I could really say at this point. There's, there's, uh, there's a few negatives, which I'm sure we'll touch on um, in terms of what we're doing, but overall, it's just everything is so positive, and it doesn't feel like we're going to come down from this anytime soon. Yeah, we can only get better from here, and we're ahead of the curve, ahead of schedule. Uh, so the Lakers currently are second in overall net rating at nine. They're just .1 behind the number one Celtics. They are second in defensive rating, just .1 behind the number one Jazz at 99.8. They are number one in opponent field goal percentage, holding teams to 44%. I think that's a very impressive stat right there. That's super um, impressive. And I, w- I would mm-hmm. like also like to know, I mean, we obviously not right now, but I feel like so many of the games we've been holding teams to 40% or less. It's like a few games we like gave up around 50% that like kind of pulled that average up. But our defense has been like extraordinarily good in most games. Yep. Uh, Lakers are third in opponent points surrendered right smack dab at 100. That used to be below 100 before we faced the high-paced, high-offense Phoenix Suns, but otherwise we're doing really good in that respect as well. Uh, They are 11th in offensive rating, so we're slowly climbing in that aspect. I'm sure there's no coincidence that Rajon Rondo's back and Kyle Kuzma's rounding back into form, and we're slowly shooting better from three as well, so uh, can only get better from there. They are number one in points in the paint and number one in field goal percentage at 47.8%, despite shooting 32.7% from three, good for only 24th in the league. So I think that's impressive as well that you're already shooting 48% while shooting abysmally from the three-point arc. Yeah, another encouraging stat. They are also now second in the league in assists, averaging 26.9 a game. That's likely boosted up by the Suns game where we had 39 assists, the highest mark that we've hit since 2009. But overall, I mean, you saw in the Golden State Warriors game where we were making like seven passes to just get an easy layup that the passing overall is looking better. No, it's looking amazing. I mean, yeah, the you can point to the Suns game because I was like, a, a, I mean, it was an, a historic night for us, one of the best assist games, like in the last, you know, especially on the road, I think since the eighties. Um, since, uh, but but beyond that, we've actually had several games of being thirty plus or at least like twenty eight plus. So it's not like that one game is pulling us up per se. Like we had thirty or thirty one against the Warriors, also. Um, couple of games earlier in the season we had 30 plus so assist is something that i did not think we would be this perfect provision at and not that assists tell the whole story of how your offense is working but we had potential to have given especially given how things have gone in recent years to have a high degree of dribbling and one guy trying to do you know between rondo or lebron or ad trying to isolate and maybe create something for somebody else, but it was going to be very potentially stagnant. And it's, it's just crazy. Cause we're getting like 30, you know, or like you said, 26 point, whatever is this per game. And, and LeBron is getting 11, but it beyond him, it's just highly distributed between all the other guys. Just everybody's chipping in with the ball movement, which is really good to see. Yeah. I mean, you're seeing Dwight Howard pretty much act as Andrew Bogut out there. <laughs> You know, yes. and then the Andrew Bogut comp, though, I respect a lot more. I think somebody on ES, I, so I watched the ESPN feed of the Warriors game. Uh-huh. And somebody said Bill Walton, and that's just inappropriate. 
That's inappropriate. Right. We'll we'll go with the uh, Ben Wallace, Andrew Bogut comp for Dwight. Uh, but outside of Dwight, we've got Avery Bradley, who's getting five assists off the same play over and over again every game. Yeah. Where it's just a high screen right at the top of the free throw line and Avery Bradley just goes over that screen and either takes the jump shot or takes it all the way into the lane for this Andre Miller old man style layup or just easily lobs it to his big man for these really easy dunks you know so everybody's getting into the fray and now Rajon Rondo's back to help smooth over the offense for the bench and Kyle Kuzma too he had that really nice pick and roll lob to Dwight Howard and it it just feels like everything is starting to click and fire on all cylinders which is why this episode is titled connecting the dots but connect fouring the dots get it (laughs) (laughs) sorry what were you gonna say Oh, I was just, I was going to say something about Rondo getting back into the mix as well, but I, I think you covered it. We can, we can. Oh yeah, we're going to talk about Rondo later for sure. Uh, last few things I wanted to point out stats-wise, LeBron James is still leading the league in assists by a large margin, two full assists over Luka Doncic at 11.1, which is just insane. LeBron James, this point god renaissance in year 17. Anthony Davis is still leading the league in blocks with 2.9, so incredible job there. Jonathan Isaac is second with 2.8. What the heck? Crazy. I know. Uh, (laughs) uh, Before we go on, those are all the stats that the Lakers have out there, and they're all really impressive on both ends, really. But before we move on with the rest of our show, as usual, please follow us on Twitter at LakersLegacyPod. Please also rate and review us on iTunes, because the more you rate and review us, that's how many more times Dwight Howard will continue to log on to Instagram and defend KCP against the slander of, well, all of us. Because, <laughs> because we're not friends, we're family, as Vin Diesel would say, La Familia. So God bless Dwight Diesel. Uh, for tonight's review reading, since Tommy is driving, I will do the reading for us and I won't do it in a goofy or funny voice or perfectly channel some random Lakers player. I will be reading it in a normal NPR style voice because I want to give this review the sincerity and gravity that it deserves because it's a good one. So Tommy, are you ready for this review? Yes. All right. This is from Good Cell Creative. The title's cut off, but it starts off with... Low-key guys, high IQ, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) I don't know what it says after that, but I like how it starts. We're low-key guys, high IQ, something, something. This is five stars. These guys know their stuff, but don't come off like a bunch of over-amped ESPN blowhards. The kind of fans you'd want to watch a game with. Thanks for a great podcast. Thank you, Good Cell Creative, for that review. I don't know about you, Tommy, but if I had to, if someone asked me to sell ourselves as the Lakers Legacy Podcast to a complete stranger and describe our show, I think this review is pretty much how I would sum it up and articulate the vibe we're trying to give off, you know, where on the surface, it may seem like we're just a bunch of dudes you're grabbing a beer with to talk about the Lakers, but underneath that surface... There's actually some depth and substance because we do know our stuff and do our homework. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I agree. You know, like you said, it's nice when people recognize what we're about. Like, look, we're not Laker Film Room. Don't come on here expecting it like Pete Zayas level analysis. We we have our degree of analysis that we're able to do. And uh, other than that, we're just trying to have fun. 
yeah, I, th I think it's nuanced in its own way. Uh, so thank you, Good Cell Creative. And thank you for those who have rating and reviewing these past few weeks. We are now at 375. Please help us get to 400 before 2019 ends. All right, with that said, Tommy, before we get into Rajon Rondo's return, Kyle Kuzma bouncing back, and some other specifics on the team, I wanted to pose a more intangible question to you before we take it to break. And that's... That's whether or not it's hit you that we could be witnessing something special here. This is going to sound like such a homery podcast right now for whoever who tunes in. But hey, we're nine and two, dude. We can say whatever the hell we want to. We can puff our chest out. We've barely gotten to do this these last few years. So we're going to flaunt it when we can. But has it hit you yet that we are now just coming into all of these games expecting to win on the nightly? That we're the favorites? That we're just a goddamn good team? And when we lose one game, it feels a little bit different. Like, it sucks to lose that one game, but we kind of chalk it up these days, too. Um, they just weren't mentally engaged. And uh, I guess, have you thought to yourself, how the hell did I live with, with myself as a Lakers fan the last few years watching so many losses? It's probably because we contextualize everything properly, but... I think just seeing the stark contrast from one year to the next and just how much things have changed in such a small period of time, it's like we're drinking some of that expensive Fiji water as opposed to that off-brand Nestle water, and we can never go back. So <laughs> how have you felt about just being on the ground level of potentially witnessing something special? That's not to say that we're going to win the championship this year, but there's something different about the honeymoon stage of a potential championship dynasty because you know as the years go by second year especially third year the team just gets jaded they get bored they get tired so i just want to make sure you know we're not taking for granted the moment that we're in right now even though we have no idea what this team ceiling truly is so i guess the overarching question is has it hit you yet that we are rooting for potentially a historically good team i think it started to I mean it started to hit me I mean maybe this wasn't a game that stood out to other people it started to hit me in the Miami game and then it really started to hit me after the Suns game um we're a pretty special team like you said I don't know if we're gonna win the championship this year but we're gonna be very good um this is the first year that we've done this podcast that we actually have a good team um yes. so that's exciting <laughs> that's and crazy so, dude yeah. And so in a way it, it feels kind of nice and it feels like we earned it. So like I'm we not did. definitely not taking it for granted because I mean it's not because of this podcast that we watched all eighty two for like the last however many years that we sucked. We were doing that anyway. Um but it it does feel nice that like you put in your time with all these crappy teams and all these terrible seasons and all the like heartbreak of like the, you know, seasons lost to injury or seasons lost to like drama within the organization or, you know, whatever. And it all is kind of culminated in this one season where, you know, I would have been happy if there was some sort of general plan in place. And we saw like some sort, some degree of steps being taken towards getting our franchise to this level um but it all clicked at once you know it's like magic left rob rob took over like all of a sudden it seems like you know with rob we started although he was criticized you know to some degree for the ad trade and how much we gave up um it seems like everything sort of clicked in terms of 
being able to identify who are like helpful players to surround your stars with um, some degree of logic other than the KCP signing to, to uh, the amounts of money given out to each of these players, logical risks when it came to um, free agent signings, you know, like we kind of were all operating under the assumption that like the, over the off season that the media is going to say what it's going to say. And the reality is none of us are there and none of us know what's going on behind the scenes. Exactly. Especially since the Lakers, you know, post magic, especially have taken such a strong stance on freezing out the media. Um, there was so much wild speculation about how Jason Kidd was going to take over Frank Vogel's job. Frank Vogel's like a sorry coach who doesn't know anything about the modern era. Mm-hmm. He's just a Kurt Rambis, you know, Phil Jackson type of hire. And what do we do? Blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. And Lionel Hollins hates analytics. Lionel, Lionel <laughs> Hollins hates analytics. Jason Kidd is going to plot to take over Frank Vogel's job within a month of the season starting. Like, all this stuff, right? And we kind of just sat there. And I feel like we took a similar... Maybe we, we're fans, obviously, so we get a little more emotional about it um, than the professionals running the team. But I feel like we took a pretty me- relatively measured approach. And we're like, you know mm-hmm. what? There's all this nonsense happening. Let's wait and see. And given the 9-2 and two start and then just how good and dominant we've looked, it was worth the wait. Um, yeah. I feel like in the la- in the three-peat years, for sure, I was too young to... App- I mean, I-, I wasn't that young. I remember all of it, but I was too definitely too young to appreciate how rare that was. Um, in the Kobe Powell years, it- this is starting to feel like that first year when we made the trade for Powell, when, like, I think mm-hmm. we won 56 games or something that year. Certainly the second year when we won over... Powell's first full year as a Laker, I think we won over 60. Um it, it this season is giving vibes of those seasons just in terms of yeah. like we're not just beating teams we're like handling teams um we yeah. keep it close and then when we decide to like turn it on it's like good luck even trying to do anything that you're used to doing when you play like the other 29 teams in the league um the t- the guys all seem to really like each other uh, yeah. amazing chemistry um we have some potential Young guys in uh, Taylor Horton Tucker and even some of our two A players who, you know, over the course of an 82 game season could make like a little impact here and there. We have guys like Kuzma seems prime for a breakout season. Um, LeBron is like playing at the highest level he's played at in years. AD might be the MVP this year. Like a lot of things are happening at the right time. Um, and you can say, like, okay, well, you know, the haters will come come out with well the lakers don't have a very high margin for error and like oh we just hope ad doesn't get hurt okay you can say that about literally every team in the league <laughs> you know good yeah for the clippers who have to load manage Kawhi every two weeks and say that about any team you could say that about like these warriors teams that won over the past five years um and the reality is we're just doing an awesome like we're playing such a high level of basketball and i think Everybody should just like stop overthinking it, like enjoy it, watch the games. It's super fun. Like we're not just gr- grinding teams out defensively. We're also like starting to incorporate a good amount of offense. Um, we have a coach who makes like super, super logical decisions and, and like 
and and decisions that are having like tangible effects on the outcomes of the games that we're playing and we should just be very happy with where we stand currently and and where the uh this team might go over the coming years yeah absolutely and i feel like the the vibes that i'm getting is like we may be in a transcendent time right now just because things are firing on all cylinders when in the last few years everything that has gone wrong went wrong for the Lakers and now it seems like the opposite at least for the first portion of this season and obviously I don't want to cling too tightly to that because anything can shake things up but it's funny that I feel like the narrative is going to change from this summer a lot of pundits were probably saying or picking apart all of the Lakers potential flaws and how things would go wrong and I feel like after this first these first few games, these first 11 games and into December, the narrative's quickly going to switch and the goalposts are going to move to, they have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, two Hall of Fame players. What did you expect? Right. You know, these same people who are saying, oh, but what about this? Their, their defense is going to be bad. They just signed Dwight Howard. That sucks. They have very little depth. And then all of a sudden, oh, but they have Anthony Davis and LeBron James. They're going yeah. to work things out. And, and they are going to work things out, but everybody knows how tough it is to build a cohesive championship unit. I mean, LeBron James knows that for himself as well, but obviously the fit could not have been more perfect for Anthony Davis and LeBron James. LeBron James could not have been saying the right things to start off this entire venture, you know, pretty much giving the keys to Anthony Davis and following through with his word by leading the league in assists, you know, and Dwight Howard pretty much being what we thought DeMarcus Cousins would be. He is that wild card. And he has absolutely changed our defensive identity and how much passion he has out on the court every single night is inspiring. And it's, and, and, and that also, you can sense that emanating from Avery Bradley as well. It's like we're firing on all cylinders because so many guys have so much to prove and it's actually manifesting itself in effective ways. You know, there there's a, a reality of this where things are going wrong and it's like Lance Stevenson and Michael Beasley trying to prove themselves. But no, Avery Bradley was once a multi-year first team all defense sort of guy. So was Dwight Howard. These guys just got themselves into hella good shape and are proving a lot of doubters wrong. And now it's Rajon Rondo's turn to prove the doubters wrong. Now it's Kyle Kuzma's turn to prove the doubters wrong. We're not sure if Kentavious Tannel Caldwell Pope is going to be able to do that. But given the fact that all these guys are doing it, why not? And JaVale McGee is now rounding into form. He almost had a 20-20 game. If we get flashes of pre-pneumonia JaVale McGee to join the fray here, there's no telling what our ceiling could be. And you you mentioned that, oh, you know, some people are saying the Lakers have a small margin of error. But because of our start, I feel like we actually have a pretty big margin of error now. Where do you remember coming into this season? It's like, yo, if Kyle Kuzma does not round into form and and does not live up to expectations, we may not be that great of a team. And now it's like Kyle Kuzma is the cherry on top, dude. Like, we're not really even expecting that much, but he's already starting to turn the corner. To me, he's like Andrew Bynum that first year. You know, if he gives us stuff, that's great. He is important to this team. But if he doesn't have it one night, just sit his ass, you know, or let him let him take his time. So it's just amazing to watch transpire. And I'm trying to remind myself to take a step back, soak it all in and not take it for granted. Because you know that this is the most, maybe not the most, but 
in that honeymoon period of time, you know this is when it's going to be the most freshest for all these players. They're going to be the most motivated, the most joyful, most bought in that they're ever going to be. Maybe barring if they lose the championship this year and they all have to regroup again next year. But you know what I'm saying, right? All of these firsts are really fun to witness together with this sort of very rootable team. And they're backing it up with actual tangible results, which is just insane to see. And like I mentioned, they're winning in different ways, and that's the sign of a true championship contending team. Uh, Any last words you want to say really quickly before we take it to break? I know. Cool. All right, we're going to take it to break, pitch it to our sponsors, and when we return, we'll just talk quickly about Rajon Rondo's return and Kyle Kuzma bouncing back. All right, so we're back. The last two games, uh, the Lakers have won in different fashion. Like I mentioned, the Suns game, crazy back and forth, high-paced, 39 assists, absolute shootout. The Lakers proving they can win in this way was exciting. If they can't sustain their incredible defense for a full game and fully control the pace and tempo, it's good to know that they can take an opposing team's hits, fire back, and when they need to at the most crucial moments, still put the clamps down and shut off the other team's water and electricity when need be. Uh, I think the biggest item of importance in this game was the return of Rajon Rondo. Even in spite of the fact that he only played 14 minutes, he had 7 points, 6 rebounds, 7 assists, and 0 turnovers. He also hit one three-pointer. He pretty much had a Lonzo Ball game minus the defense in only 14 minutes. Yeah, what were your thoughts about Rajon Rondo's return? I think Frank Vogel even busted out the analytics when talking about Rondo, saying when Rondo was on the court with Anthony Davis, they had a 120 offensive efficiency rating, you know? So, look, this is what I expected from Rondo. There's a built-in accountability on this team. They've all bought in. They don't care about how many minutes they have to sacrifice. And I figured that Rondo would just fall into place. So there was this one play, you're probably not going to remember it, but... Caruso was being bodied by Kaminsky in the post and Kaminsky turned to, you know, put up a shot and Rondo came flying in to try and bother the shot and try and contest the shot. It didn't end up mattering because Rondo's too small and Kaminsky ended up laying it in anyways. But just the notion of Rondo giving that extra effort as the help defender to me was something, you know what I mean? Like just like the rest of this team, he's putting in the effort and he knows what it's going to take to really get this team past that championship contending line so yeah what are your thoughts on on rondo's uh first stint here uh the way that he commanded the floor with his dribble a a much more confident dribble that's not yep. so easily stripped the way that quinn cook gets the ball stripped but yes your thoughts on rondo's debut rondo looked f- phenomenal um i would put myself in the when it comes to Rondo in the camp somewhere between where you stood and somewhere between where like the rest of the world stood, um, you were optimistic from the beginning that we would figure out a way to make this work. And, uh, it wouldn't take too many, you know, it wouldn't take that. It didn't require that many mental gymnastics to see how it could work. I think other people were very, very extreme that, okay, Rondo is going to be on this team. He's going to start, he's going to play 30 minutes a game. He's not going to play any defense. We're going to be one of the worst defensive teams in the league. And that's like, and that's it, right? And I was kind of like, okay, look, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe we could figure out 15 minutes or something. Hopefully the politics don't come into play. I think my attitude definitely went all the way in your camp, though, after like the first two weeks or so of the season, when it Mm -hmm. became very clear that Frank Vogel is not about this politics game. I mean, you see it. 
the politics thing doesn't really make sense, right? I, for two reasons. Number one, if you're a head coach in the NBA trying to keep your job, why would you ever play the politics game unless you were being mandated to do it by like the front office mm-hmm. for some reason? And then number two, you know, because your goal is to win games. And the, the second reason it doesn't make sense is if your team is winning, that kind of like quiets a lot of locker room issues. All kinds of nonsense could like, you know, these guys could, if this team was losing, maybe Dwight is complaining. I don't know. I'm not saying he would, but, you know, maybe Dwight's complaining about how he should be getting more minutes or something. Maybe, you know, we have other KCP complaining about getting more time, you know, but when you have, when you're winning games and you're winning games by putting your best players, regardless of politics out there on the court, it, it quiets a lot of the noise in the locker room that would cause like political drama or, you know, whatever. So sorry, Tommy, there's a third political reason why. Can I bring it up? Because there are so many guards to play the politics game with that at a certain point you're at max capacity that it's like, look, man, someone's going to get shafted here. And so I'm literally just going to play whoever's playing the best on a nightly basis because on any given night, Danny Green could get shafted. Avery Bradley could get shafted. I'm not going to make any one of these guys a sacred cow outside of Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and maybe Kyle Kuzma, but he's young, so not even him. Right. Yeah. I mean, it just, it became clear to me after seeing how Vogel early in the season was handling the dynamic between like all these guards, that it is going to be a merit-based society. You know, Rondo has a very clear role on this team. When LeBron James sits, we've struggled to with consistent playmaking. Caruso, I will give this dude a lot of credit. I mean, he we were watching him develop, like the same as Kuzma. Yeah, Caruso's like spike or arc isn't as going to be as dramatic as Kuzma's because Kuzma's ceiling is so high, but Caruso is developing right in front of our eyes. I mean, he played horrendously in preseason. He got off to a fairly bad start, in my opinion, the first couple, first few games of the season. Last like five games or so, I think he's been phenomenal. I mean, his defense is always there, you know, um, but his offense has come around. And I guess the point I'm trying to get at is like, you saw early in the season Vogel making that choice. It didn't, it did not require an A plus effort from Caruso to beat a C effort from other guys just because he's younger. You know, it, yeah. Vogel recognized the value and put him in where it made sense. And I think the same thing is going to be the case with Rondo. Yeah, he was a little bit limited because of his calf injury, but I think that like 15 to 20 minute per game range is going to be so awesome for Rondo. That dude can come out here, play 15 to 20 minutes, and he showed it in this first game. He'll get you seven assists with his eyes closed. Okay, mm-hmm. he is very adept at handling the ball. You know, they talk about, like, do you feel comfortable? A good test of a point guard is how comfortable do you feel with the ball in his hands? With Rondo, it's like almost a 10 out of 10, right? Like, his handle mm-hmm. is tight. He doesn't make a lot of stupid turnovers. His assist-to-turnover ratio has always been very good. Um, and he is just a phenomenal playmaker. He activates guys, especially other role players who... He'll be coming off the bench with. He knows how to get AD shots, which is going to make AD's life a lot easier. And frankly, is going to help LeBron by observation because LeBron and AD are learning to play with each other still. It's been 12, 11 games. Rondo and AD have played that, an entire yeah. season with each other already. 
Yeah, and how is it that Rondo's the only one who knows how to do that crazy backdoor lob to Anthony Davis from the three-point line? You know, we've had so many games without Rondo, and he's the only one who knows how to do yeah, that pass. It's and crazy. He, and, and he puts it right on the money. I mean, he's a very... No one will ever deny his skill at passing, right? I think what people were concerned about was the politics and all the, you know, the no defense. But look... That was another thing that made me feel better about Rondo, right? Like everybody was concerned about the defense of our guards, Quinn Cook, Troy Daniels, Rondo. These were among the worst um, guard defenders in the NBA last year. And we had three of them. And Avery Bradley, you know, people were saying he's washed and below average. Um, Once the season started and we were giving like fairly significant minutes to Troy Daniels and Quinn Cook, and it became, and we were still by far the best defense in the NBA, or one of the best defenses in the NBA at various times. Um, it became like super, super clear to me that if we can hide those guys, we can hide Rondo. And to be clear on Rondo, when he's engaged, he is much better than these other guys. It's like a disengaged Rondo is as bad as the, these other guys have been, right? But when he's engaged, he's much, much better. I mean, he's got great wingspan, he's got great instincts and hands on the perimeter. He has lost the step and is not going to be able to stay in front of the fastest guards. That may create problems on certain teams. But the good thing is if you're playing him with Caruso or like Avery Bradley or, you know, others, other guards who are more defense oriented as Vogel has done. If the opposing team has a really good scoring point guard, you could put that guy on. The, uh, you know, one of those guys on the scoring guard and have Rondo because he's like six, three with pretty good wingspan and pretty strong. He can guard twos pretty easily. Um, so he adds the big time playmaking dynamic. And another thing, I think the defense will be fine. The shooting, what, you know, whatever the, that remains to be seen how he incorporates that. But I'm not concerned because he's hit a decent percentage on open threes recently, whether it kills yep. the spacing you know, at times or not. Um, the big thing, though, that I feel like doesn't get talked in, about enough, and I, I actually think this is related to defense, he is a phenomenal defensive rebounder for a point guard. Um, mm-hmm. He always has been. That's why he's like a walking triple-double. Um, but our guards, other than him, and I even include Caruso in this, are not great rebounders. Um, I don't know if it's an instinct thing or, you know, a contact thing. Some of our guards like are not, I don't know, I want to call them soft, but they're not like going to get in there and muck it up. But Rondo on defensive rebounds is like actively seeking out the ball. Um, we got in the two games we lost and in a couple other games that were probably closer than they should have been. We got killed on the defensive glass earlier in the season. Rondo, I think, is going to clean up a lot of that. And not only is he going to clean clean it up but he's also going to create so many easy baskets off of those opportunities because you know we have not fully unlocked our running game we're not going to be a top pace team in the league and frank vogel if you listen to his comments or in in, to the media in, in recent weeks has has talked about how pace is a super overrated and misleading statistic um and the reason being that you know you can be a you can be a team that is not high pace, but you selectively run and you could still have high transition points. And I think that's what we're going to be. Um, we're going to be a selective running team and Rondo is going to be the initiator of that because he can get the ball and push it. We are wearing teams down so bad defensively. This is why, like, it seems like every game we've kept it close. And then, the you know, end of the third quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter, we just destroy everyone. It's like they finally get worn down at that point. 
And when Rondo yep. comes in in those moments with these teams that are so worn down playing us because we're so aggressive defensively, it's just going to be like running all over people. You know what I mean? Yep. It's 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 going to be very fun to watch. And I was super encouraged. I know he's not going to play like that efficient or that effective every night. Although we said that's we said the same thing about Dwight earlier in the season. Um, but I'm I'm super excited for what Rondo's going to bring. Yeah, and it's not lost on me that the reason why Rajon Rondo gets these rebounds is because he's probably not sticking to his man and actively seeking out these rebounds, but on this team, that sort of action is a little bit more mitigated, and at the very least, he knows how to push the pace immediately right after that when he gets the rebound. So just wanted to add that qualifier to Rondo's rebounding, but even with that said, he just commands the floor with his dribble so much differently and actually bends the defense because even if he can't shoot, he's pounding the rock and getting into the lane. He knows how to navigate and parole the paint the way Steve Nash used to do and when a defender is sort of caught off guard he'll just go in for the layup as he did in the Suns game and he made a lot of really nice post-entry lob passes to LeBron James for LeBron to just easily lay it in like only Rondo can do that you know so Again, I mentioned it before, I don't want to beat a dead horse at this point, but an engaged Rondo playing for something meaningful will be a meaningful contributor. And that's played itself out throughout the years. You can look at the net rating, even for last year when the Lakers were a 500 team, a playoff team through December, he had a better net rating than Lonzo. And then when the trade rumors happened, when there was nothing to play for, when he realized Luke Walton was a doofus, <laughs> Rondo stopped caring and his net rating precipitously dropped to ridiculously bad levels. So on this team, there is a built-in accountability with everybody. Frank Vogel knows how to keep these guys accountable. So I am very confident that this is going to work out and they're all playing for each other. Rondo, Connect 4, Connect 5, 5D, Chinese Checkers. All right, really quickly to end this show, Cal <laughs> Kuzma, Cal Kuzman, as you like to call him, Tommy, in his last three games, he's averaging 20 points in only 26 minutes. He has had three straight games in a row hitting three threes. He hit some ridiculously clutch threes in the Phoenix game that really put us over the top. And that scene where LeBron and Anthony Davis were surrounding him and being his ultimate hype man was super cute and <laughs> really perfect. And I don't doubt that Kuz will continue to be up and down. But as far as some steps in the right direction, we're slowly starting to see it. He's shooting 53.7%. 53.7% field goals, 47.4% from three, 87.5% for a 67.4 true shooting percentage in the last three games. It's crazy that I have to remind people that this dude had a stress reaction just a month prior. And if you remember how he busted through with Team USA, like it was the most engaged we've ever seen Kyle Kuzma play. He was a rabid like Energizer Bunny on defense, crashing the boards, leaking out. He was being physical. And then the stress reaction happened. And I truly believe that even right now, he's still a little gimpy. I, I still think he's gauging whether or not he can trust his body fully to really bang down low. He got eaten alive by Pascal Siakam. And I know people have been talking about how soft he's looked on defense here and there. And for me, Part of that is he's working his way back from a stress reaction, and I don't think he knows if he can fully trust his body yet to bang and do all those crazy, frenetic, Cal Kuzma-type things that he was doing at Team USA. But we did see it at Team USA. I know people want to see it on the NBA level, but there is a clear 
demarcation line that we can point to and say, this is why you may not be seeing the rabid Cal Kuzma that you saw in Team USA and just give it a little bit of time. There's so many things that he's trying to connect the dots with at this point that I can only imagine what's going on in his head and he's just trying to properly compartmentalize let me get my three-point shot going. Let me figure out what role I'm playing next to Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Oh, Rajon Rondo's back. Oh my God, they're, they're playing zone on me. You know, like all these things he's trying to configure and put together, and it's slowly, slowly coming back. No surprise that his offense is the very first thing to come back. But even on the defensive end, I thought he's played pretty solidly. Those moments where he's had lapses and not boxed out or looked pretty soft... I think that is starting to shore itself up as well. The last game, he tried to take a charge. They called it a block on him, but he's finally starting to sacrifice his body a little again. Um, He even tried to yam it down. So I think slowly but surely, the physicality is going to come back here. And people are just microscopically nitpicking at this dude. And it's been a little insane in my eyes because, again, Team USA, he was the ultimate glue guy, awesome defender, Swiss Army knife, etc., etc. And right now he is a walking bucket as we expect Kyle Kuzma to be. So quickly, your thoughts on Kyle Kuzma slowly rounding back into form here. Uh, yeah, I was getting, I'm not going to lie, I was getting a little bit concerned. I was preached patience, but like I was getting a little concerned after the first couple of games he came back because... He looked bad in some of those games. Um, and I again, it's like so easy to forget. This guy was not just like rehabbing, not to say like belittle any of the injuries I'm about to say, but like, oh, it's sprained ankle or like a, you know, sore calf or something like that. Like, obviously, those are serious injuries, too. But what I'm getting at is like when he had his stress reaction, it was like the, the treatment plan was you were not putting weight on that foot. Like there were all those clips of him in the gym when the team was practicing and he's like standing on his left foot, you know, like shooting threes and or whichever was the one I didn't know. He looked like he was walking gingerly at every moment. He's like literally walking on eggshells. So it wasn't just like, Oh, you're not playing basketball. It's like, Oh, you're not like moving physically, like in a meaningful way, you know, like, yeah, you're lifting weights and stuff, but you're not, you're not like running you're not cutting you're not doing any of that stuff and he went from like that for months multiple months to um like a week of practice and then into right into games where other guys have been like you know at this point gone through like between the preseason training camp and regular season like over a month of getting back into it so it shouldn't come as a surprise that it took a little time, but it did. And, and, and I think we're starting to see him take that turn. I think you made the good comparison actually to, to Bynum and how it felt with him that season where it's like, we could really use this guy and he would be really helpful if he was good, but it would, it's not absolutely necessary. Um, and then he just takes it to like a whole different level. I think we're starting to see mm-hmm. that. Um, and hopefully he just like gains some confidence from these last couple of games and he becomes more assertive offensively, especially when he's in there with some of those second unit lineups with a bunch of guys who don't necessarily want to create for themselves and they either want to be set up or they want to defer to their teammates. Like if he can start taking bigger roles during those moments, we're going to be really, really dangerous because this guy can score. And now that it's looking like his jumpers back, like, he's going to score efficiently um, and, and he's going to help out a lot. The defense I'm a little concerned about, but you know, again, let's give him some time to get, get back into the swing of things um, before we attack him for that. 
Yeah, and again, I'm going to point to I saw it on Team USA. Granted, yeah, that's exactly. Team USA, but you know. Um, so yeah, I think that'll do it for our episode. Golden State game, quick hits. We did what we were supposed to do. LeBron James only played 26 minutes. He was a passing savant out there. That behind-the-back pass to Jared Dudley was sweet. Anthony Davis got a full night off. The Lakers simply overpowered the Warriors. Caveat everything because it's the Warriors, but the Lakers' ball movement was incredible. I've never seen the ball swing around the court that many times. Dwight Howard playing that bogut role at the top. Yeah, I mean, welcome back, Danny Green. Finally knocking or shooting the ball really well. By the way, this is an aside, but doesn't Danny Green kind of shoot like a dolphin? It's it's kind of weird. He's never really set. And it always feels like his trigger hand is like always above his hand and he just flicks like it. That, bro. You know, like like a dolphin coming out of the water. Like his motion is just <laughs> like... Okay, maybe, never mind. Maybe, maybe not. I, I, it's I acknowledge that his release is a little weird, but it works and it's worked for many years. And it works for him even when he's highly contested because, like I said, he doesn't need to be set or even get a feel of the ball before he lofts that thing into the air. So good for Danny Green. Welcome back. Again, JaVale McGee, best game of the season, just dunking the hell out of the ball, dunking the hell out of the Golden State Warriors, almost a 20-20 game. And even before that, he was slowly starting to round back into form. So you form this two-headed monster of Dwight and JaVale when you combine their stats together, and that is like a legitimate all-star center you know it's insane insane to think about and yeah it's a great time to be a lakers fan so puff your chest out let the people know on twitter that we back and we lit and we're coming for all those dudes all right uh with that said we will catch you guys next time please follow us on twitter at lakers legacy pod please also rate and review us on itunes tommy i think you're about to go defend kcp on uh snapchat I don't think you can defend KCP on Snapchat, actually. I don't know. Whatever social media platform you're about to defend KCP on, I believe that's what you were going to do, right? Yeah, hit me up on Twitter, 10508 Oh, shoot, are you KCP's burner? <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, we'll catch you guys next time. Tommy. Peace. Laters. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.